walking in the uprightness. God calls us to walk in uprightness and fear Him. There's a contrast between the upright and those who are not upright. And we want to make sure we're in the sight of the upright people. Upright means to not be crooked. Upright means to not be false. And then 20 verses later, you see that mercy and truth. By mercy, by God's loving kindness and truth, a person is blessed who devises good, plans good, does good, thinks good. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's shown us the way to walk uprightly in all our dealings. And if we should falter, we need to ask for forgiveness to repent from that. We glorify the living God. He is good. Proverbs 14.26 And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and His children shall have a place of safety or refuge. Again, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the traps of death, snares of death. Praise God, we're in another kingdom. We're able to spot when people are deceived. Because the Bible says we ourselves were once deceived until the Lord came and rescued us. And we can offer hope. To walk circumspectly, cautiously, but with joy and hope. Blessed be God's name. In perfect balance. I want to go back to the beginning of this chapter, Proverbs 14, and verse 1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. The picture here, the imagery, is impossible to miss as per the meaning conveyed. A person can physically with the hands pull the house down, her own house. Then we would be shocked if we went around the block and we saw women pulling the house down, destroying the own house going around the house with a hammer perhaps and a saw and everything you can think of to literally tear that house down level by level. The wise woman, she's building the house. Now there are translations that would make this gender neutral. Say the wise person, but the Lord specifically put a woman here, and we need to leave it that way and understand what he's saying. And one thing we know right away is that the woman actually can have a great influence on the children. 
as well as the husband, but primarily in most societies, the children stay with a woman, woman, the mother. And she has a tremendous influence on the children. And so the house stands for the inheritance, the family. Not speaking about a physical house, but that's the imagery that is so so poignant, so graphic that we have to think about the words the Holy Spirit has used, the contrast. Now, this can be taken and extrapolated to apply to everyone, man or woman or child. But primarily, it says the wise woman and the foolish woman. The influence that a mother and a wife can have on the direction of the family can be very profound, particularly on the children. I didn't prepare this or come here thinking, premeditate, that I'm going to speak on this, but the Lord has given us this Proverbs chapter. And we will go through, because the Word is always good to edify us, and there's no particular reason in my part to read into anything, but simply to give it as it is, with God's grace. The wise woman fills her house, but the foolish pulls it down, meaning she destroys it, meaning that the things that she does are not conducive to edification, to build up that building, to build up the household, to build up the family. And we could have three reactions when we read this. We can say that's not something I want to hear right now. I feel hurt hearing this. Particularly, someone may say, because I'm a woman, and it's not fair. The Bible is fair. God is fair. He gives equal caution to men and women. This chapter happens to begin with that. We have to look at it. And the second reaction is, it doesn't apply to me without even checking. Both are refusals. The third is to say, God, it's a wonderful thing to really take a look at my life, heart, particularly the things I say, the things I do. Are they building my husband and my children up? If a person is married. Whoever is within the care of the mother figure or the older sister figure or guardian Tremendous potential for both extremes to happen. That's the truth. Their reaction is to simply say, Father, it's your word. Now I want to see whether it applies to me, which part. As I am. And when we look at how we used to be before we got saved, and we look at people, men and women, what do they do? How is the house running? When an opportunity is presented by God, is it despised 
is it wasted or is it eagerly thankfully taken advantage of in a good way and mainly the Bible instructs us to keep the word primarily primary in our hearts and in our homes so the speech has to be regulated and has to be seasoned with grace with salt as the Bible says in the New Testament so that the word of God is seen and shines through I like a good examination of my heart always even if the flesh doesn't like it Romans 7 says the spirit man on the inside must dominate that flesh and kick it out and reckon it dead crucify it and say the feelings are not warranted no if God is speaking he means good for me towards me and I need to see if there's anything to fix wise woman builds a house but the foolish pulls it down with her hands everything we do every expenditure of time energy money resource is it geared toward glorifying God and bringing my family closer to God in the fear of God or is it a total surrender to the ways of the flesh and whatever happens happens and if we have a time with God that's wonderful but I'm not pushing for it and then again if I do those things am I negating it by bringing in worldly and fleshly attitudes these are things that we need to pay attention to and we need to say Lord help me to be true to you I want to be wise I want to be wise and we see often especially in the book of Proverbs wisdom is connected with the fear of the Lord there's absolutely no separation in the Bible between wisdom and the fear of the Lord so that shows we must have this fear of the Lord and the fear of the Lord makes us happy doesn't make us cringe and run away and feel condemned wanting to die the fear of the Lord ends to life the one that has it shall abide satisfied and the person will not be visited with evil it's a protection and the fear of the Lord is connected to humility the verse we start out with verse 2 he who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord every man every person the Bible uses the masculine pronoun often and when it doesn't pertain to a specific individual it pertains to the human race Adam 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 means man or mankind talking about the human race and so there are versions of the Bible that will seek to be gender neutral and and some even go so far as to put her because they want to be politically correct and popular but we must not tamper the scriptures God knew what he was doing when he gave it and yet we look at all of it and we say Lord anytime you talk about righteousness I can extrapolate that I can take that and apply it to me too even if I'm not the gender that is being particularly mentioned here blessed be the name of the Lord the one who walks uprightly 
Hallelujah. There is no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation. Those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk after the flesh but after the spirit. There's a great freedom. There's a great joy. Uprightness and walking in the spirit are the same thing. What the New Testament brings out in great detail because of the supernatural operations that God discloses. What exactly happened when we got born again? What's our relationship to the Holy Spirit and to the Father and to the Son? Extremely detailed in the New Testament. And so we're able to understand when in the Old Testament God talks about blameless, upright, holy, consecrated, devoted to God, seeking God, uh, one who prepared his or her heart to seek God. All those things relate to one who's walking in the Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that draws us away to God's sight so we can please Him and live a life of freedom. So we can say in Proverbs 14.2, with all that we know from the New Covenant, He that walks in the Spirit fears the Lord. The one who fears the Lord will be walking in the Spirit. And you know, when we get closer to God, more and more closer to God, the alarm bell becomes more frequent and louder anytime we deviate. What a blessing. The people who don't like the sound of the fire alarm because it's 3 o'clock in the morning are dangerously foolish to their own welfare. But the people who are wise will say, I want that thing as loud as possible to shake me awake so I can get to safety. So the alarm bell that God has given us is the knowing part deep within every human being, the conscience, then the Spirit of God comes and resides in the one who's born again, and now He talks to us. And He will talk very clearly and loud enough for us to hear and understand. And every time God speaks and says, this is not my will, and we say, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I don't want to do this again. Help me to hear, Father. What God will do is continue to speak with the same clarity and the same amplitude so we can always be in the know as far as our soul is concerned fearing the Lord but he who is perverse in his ways despises him the word perverse is not just talking about physical impurity mental impurity but any crooked thing Anything that is crooked, that is not of the Lord. It means to depart, actually. The original Hebrew word means to depart from the right path. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride. Have you ever been convicted by the Lord that that was uh, prideful? God spoken to you as you've spoken to me before many, many times. No one else knows and no one else 
can help. God really cares and He can really help. So even if everything looks okay on the outside, when God speaks, we understand that it's a foolish thing to be proud. But the lips of the wise shall preserve them. We know in the world that certain people can talk their way out of almost anything. And there are certain people people who are used by emergency services to negotiate with people who are on the verge of committing something disastrous. Their own lives and the lives of others a combination of both. There are people who are skilled in negotiation. And there are people who can talk their way out of anything, almost. There's a certain tact and a certain craft. God gives us intelligence, wisdom, to speak what the Bible calls words that are like apples of gold in settings of silver. What a magnificent image, imagery. How beautiful. Apples of gold. And the kind of gold certainly is not the kind we see many times in the store. It would be plated with other metals and not pure. But a really pure gold and that which is scintillating. in the backdrop rich silver it's an exquisite combination in other words it's so precise and beautiful the worth of it is unmistakable our lips and our words can be that glorious hallelujah doesn't that make you happy that gives me such a joy. It really gives me tremendous joy. That a wise person, if I choose to be wise, I will long to speak only the words that God wants me to speak, the time He wants me to speak, and when He wants me to speak. And do we make mistakes? We're not perfect coming to the cross. And we may not be perfect the same moment or the next day or the next week but the great joy is that we can continually become perfect and go from perfection to perfection in proportion to the light we receive and the experience God gives us there's a relativity to the perfection so we have all the ammunition necessary to destroy the flesh which is full of pride God says you're my children you have nothing to do with that you're, you're new you're brand new forget about the old you take on my nature yes you have to be diligent but the striving is not with exasperation where we're tired and it seems to be futile and I keep working and working but I can't seem to kick this pride out of my life God's help, God's spirit. We can pulverize that pride. That's the power of God's spirit because when a, a man or woman or a child comes to God and says, Lord, I want your wisdom 
to be in me 24-7, Lord. Oh, the decisions I've made, not only in transactions, but decision to talk, decision not to talk, the way I've spoken, oh, doesn't measure up to the perfect standard. And yet it's not a striving in my own strength. It's just looking at the Father, looking at the Son, at the Holy Spirit, knowing that I'm related to the triune God now. How awesome. I am related. People want to be related to famous people. People want to be related to people not so famous, but they have power. Other people, they want to really get close to people who have money. The profit motive is a big factor. And so there's a use and throw mechanism in some people where if you can't serve my needs and what I'm really driving at, I will drop all my street talk with you and go to someone who can be useful to me. The wisdom of this world is manipulate. Don't hesitate. Placate. Do whatever it takes. Don't worry about being fake. As long as you know what's at stake, that's great. It's a total deception. A person builds himself or herself up with pride. God says, that's really foolish. That's not my nature. So the Christian, when we reflect on the word, the tender heart of God is so attractive that even though I have to watch, I have to do my part, His love is so powerful that it motivates me and it, it gives me all the push I need if I'm seeing God accurately and I'm in the perfect law of liberty, I'm able to hear the actual meaning of what God is conveying and honest enough and humble enough to say, Father, oh, this word is cleansing me right now. I can, I can detect, Lord. I can trace maybe sooner than I'd like to as far as when I have last spoken in pride. The last thought I've had that was not right with you, was not humble. And Lord, you're showing me a better way. I want to be the wise woman, the wise man, who by the words of his or her lips, mouth, tongue, stores up a glorious future because it's in the upright path. The humility is another most attractive quality of the Lord Jesus. I mean, the world, no matter how proud the world is and people of the world, when you see a humble person, they may gnash with their teeth, but they can't deny one thing. That's beautiful. They may not say it, but deep down inside, I wish I had that. I don't know what that is. But the person is really unaffected. They continue to be humble. It's like there's no ego there. They have a strong personality and will, but it seems to be surrendered to agape love. And there's no competition with anyone because they are sufficient in Christ in the book of James it says why do you kill because you can't obtain you, you don't get satisfied how liberating 
where no oxen are, the crib is clean. But much increases by the strength of the ox. But to a person who doesn't know the value of nutrition and the variety of vegetables God has given and the variety of ways of preparing them and the aroma and the spices, oh, there's a lot that goes into it, a lot. Result is, it's tremendous nourishment, tremendous feast. There could be people who opt for a cleaner kitchen temporarily with less variety and less enjoyment and less preparation and diligence and less variety. But the Bible says, When there's labor involved and there's a profit, the place may not look clean temporarily. But that's okay. Because it's temporary. But the value of the net gain far outweighs that temporal need look. Children often are under tremendous pressure in school or in society. If they're, some of you could well identify with this, where there's such a fear of being rejected or being made fun of, that a child would rather suffer on the inside than to make a move in the classroom to get his or her basic needs met because somebody may make fun of them. And so there's a freezing that happens. It's a terrible thing. The external imagery is composure, but internal, there's a disaster, there's chaos. Meanwhile, there are other children, and goes for adults too, they will do whatever needs to be done and they could care less what people think because their eyes are not upon the image. It's on the increase. A faithful witness will not lie. Have we ever lied before? It's a heavy weight when we come near the Lord and He exposes that. We may get away with it for a long time, but the truth will come out. And it's better to go to the Lord that things straight by pleading His blood and saying, Lord, I'm so foolish. I jumped to lie to get whatever I wanted to. Maybe to preserve one's own image for the moment, but it's not worth it. Better to keep quiet many times and better to do the right thing. A faithful witness will not lie. Lies come in different shapes and forms and shades. There are many different ways a person can lie 
In Revelation 22, it says, Whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. In other words, they're used to being false and falsehood. Their kind of gain is not the righteous kind of gain. It's a gain for whatever they want, regardless and irrespective of what God says. In other words, by all means possible, get what you need to get. By all means possible. We're not bringing any kind of spirituality or morality into this because who cares? As long as I got the money, I got the thing I wanted, I got the friend I wanted, I got the man or woman I wanted, doesn't matter if I deceive them or hide whatever I should disclose. Oh, it doesn't matter. Hey, that's the way the world is. How do you think the world is operating? Wake up. Grow up. The world is built on lies, and I'm a part of it. I can't get out. I can't go to space. That's the reasoning Satan brings to a lot of people. Do what you got to do to get what you need to get. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. Just do it. And so lies will abound. A life can be a lie, and a lifetime full of lies. And we can graduate, quote-unquote, graduate from full-blown, blatant, in-your-face lies to a little more under-the-cover kind of lies and mix it with a little bit of truth and you got a great product because, you know, it wasn't as bad as what I used to say. I'm increasing. I'm getting better. But still... We're in the land of falsehood. And that means far away from God. A faithful witness will not lie. Now in this case, it's talking about witnessing some event or some person. Even witnessing myself, taking a stand, or on the stand, I should say, to talk about me and what I've done. Not say the truth, but deliberately cross over that boundary that I should not, to go into falsehood, to make sure I look good and people think highly of me, and I'm not the one. And you know how people talk? That's how gossip is. There's a lot of talk about the next person because they want to look good. And no one in their right mind would say that about the police. No one in their right mind would say that about a judge. Oh, the judge is just going down the list of all the violations that person did because you know why the judge really wants to look good so he loves to get people in court it may be but typically we know that's irrational to assume that's the job and a good judge will simply take the law match it up with the violation and judge and the parent that warns the child about bad behavior and bad people, the child has no right to say. That's a very perverse child who will say, oh, you just want to look good. That's why you're telling me bad things about other people that I need to watch out. There are people who do speak bad about other people because they want to look good and they want to cover up their own sin. But a faithful witness will not lie. But a false witness will utter lies. They make up stories. One story will lead to another. And there'll be a smile, an air of confidence, but running scared on the inside, thinking, who's going to find out? It's a horrible way to live. God has brought us out of that way of life, 
and we should never return to that in any form whatsoever. And if we are under pressure and we say something without really thinking about it, and the moment we say it, we think, oh Lord, that wasn't true. Why did I even say that? We have to ask for forgiveness. Even if it was not premeditated, it still came out of our lips if it did. We have to own up to that. Say, Father, that's not the way of the truth at all. Forgive me, Lord. Unless we have that conviction, we'll never get out of that land of falsehood, no matter how Christian we look on the outside. We won't have that kind of, we won't have the kind of connection with God. Corner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not. Let me go back to verse 5. The proper way that God has given us in the Bible is to confess it immediately. Do not delay with that. God wants us to go immediately to the advocate, our lawyer, our defender, the Lord Jesus, before the Father. So, Lord, it's not good. I'm sorry. And you know what? To make it a business that I will not cave in under pressure anymore with God's help, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to watch for scenarios that will try to repeat themselves where all of a sudden uh, I'm put in a situation where I'm on the verge of lying without really thinking about it, but I, I choose to take that option because I'm, I've been operating like that. But now there's a determination you know, as we say, the conviction leads to the decision, leads to the action, CDA. I need to have that thorough conviction. And then next time, I can stand my ground and say, no, I don't care what they think about me. I don't care what I lose. I'm not telling a lie. And God, let me live in a way that I have nothing to hide. You see, going to the heart of it now. Many times we get into a situation where we may be tempted to tell a lie because we have created that environment for ourselves. We haven't been watching. But if we're on point with God, all of those setups from the devil through the cooperation of our flesh will be dismantled. We don't have to lie. Hallelujah. We shouldn't. A scorner, let me go back to the King James, uh, New King James, a scorner or scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it. But knowledge is easy to him who understands. It's talking about the will. It's not talking about an inability or disability where a person can't, they just don't know what wisdom looks like and they keep looking for it and it's not fair. I've been seeking wisdom for 23 years and couldn't find it. No such thing will fly on that day in God's court. The scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it. Why? Because he's a scoffer. He despises the truth. He scorns. He said, oh, look at that goody two-shoes and that person thinks they're holy and this one. And a lot of scoffing, you know, always despising, looking around. You know, that's, uh, I've mentioned it before. It's a very real, uh, diabolical personality that has settled in to certain human beings where negativity comes out. The tone 
and the content is always about putting down somebody else. You know why? Because it makes me look good. But if we have true humility and understand we're nothing without God, and we should esteem others better than ourselves, then we'll be looking to say good things. And if we don't have good things to say, not say anything. And often, the Spirit of God helps us to communicate this because it's vital. Sometimes you don't have to say a word. The body language and gestures, from the rolling of the eyes, turning of the head, to the crossing of the arms, to the stomping of the feet, or the gasp. All these mannerisms convey that, hey, pride is alive and well right there. And there's a scoffing, there's a scorning, there's a despising. God wants us to be clean. I'm very happy and thankful to God that the details are given out to me from the Word of God and by the Spirit because I can know exactly how to attack this. And I will not deceive myself thinking, well, I did what God said. Meanwhile, I didn't check the mannerism. I didn't check the tone. I didn't check the attitude. I didn't check what's actually going on in my heart, my mind. You know, there's a computer. Some people are very idgity and agitated. There's a lot going on. And sometimes it has to do with a weakness. But whether it's due to a weakness physically or mentally, Christ is peace. We must believe, Lord, you can solve this condition, Lord. And then, if it's a willful thing that has been done again and again and again because I, I like it, I must go to the cross also. Say, Lord, I don't want to scorn anyone. I don't want to scoff, Lord. I, I, I don't want to be very careful and reverent, Lord, when it comes to you and the truth. And even when somebody in the world says something that is true, they may not know Jesus Christ, but by virtue of being a human being in God's world, in the virtue of having a conscience that God has given every human being they're able to know some truth and so they might speak something true but if it makes me look bad I may get offended and become defensive even with someone who's not even a believer we need to humble ourselves and say well if that's true now we don't go and cower and cave in and start trying to sell a, a weak dull Christianity and make a mockery of who we are in Christ but we must take it to heart and say, you know what? What that person said was right. Father, if I'm guilty, I'm sorry. Or Lord, if I try to defend a lie because I didn't want the truth about something. You know, sometimes we can be so hung up on a product or a way we do things because you know why? We don't see the whole picture. And we're content to see the picture that we alone can see. And then we become very defensive and angry if somebody says there's something else beyond that. All the humility that makes us flexible, give an ear to say, tell me. In the same Proverbs it says, a fool speaks or renders a verdict or comes to a conclusion without hearing the whole matter. This happens often in the church of Jesus Christ. There's a tremendous quick jump to implicate into a quick condemnation of someone because we have partial information. The human reaction might be a shock if we hear something from somewhere, but it's a very proper thing to do and good habit to take it 
and hold it until we know more. Assuming there's more. So these are the things that can happen to us. But it says, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. Again, it has to do with the will. Because you know why? That person has understanding. To whom? Uh, to, to him who has, more will be given. A person who says, I want to live wisely. Not by the world standard, not by my own standard, but Jesus Christ. That's the wisdom I want, Lord. Your wisdom, Father. It's so precious. It's more precious than fine gold, more than rubies. I can see it, Lord, now. I can see it. I used to live for money and things and pleasure, experiences. Could have been going from bar to bar or man to man or woman to woman. Could have been going from sport to sport, car to car, house to house. Stuff that drowns people in sorrow in the end, if not sooner. Oh, I found the treasure. The treasure my heart longed for. I didn't know where to find it. It was deep within me. And I found it in Jesus Christ, who was made unto me the wisdom of God, as well as the sanctification of God, the redemption of God, and the righteousness of God. I want knowledge, Lord. God, when you want to distribute more wisdom, I want you to see me as one who's worthy to receive more wisdom because the wisdom you've given me and taught me, I've put it into practice. It's become part of my fabric. God, I thank you. One of the first things you taught me when you, when you gave me your wisdom is to be humble. God will give grace to the humble. Go from the presence of a foolish man. Don't hang out with foolish people. When you don't perceive in him, the lips of knowledge. In other words, God gives us the truth and because we have the truth and we're in the word and at least hearing the word, even if people don't read it, hopefully read and hear, we have a standard all the time. It's like a carpenter going on the job site or from one corner of that frame of the house to another and he's got this thing in his pocket or in his belt loop or pouch or whatever some kind of ruler he's got a standard so number one he has a tool that can help him to gauge uh, like a plumb line the rightness the correctness the rectitude of any kind of or any situation that involves building or measuring things. He also has no excuse for building his project with improper measurements. God has given us his word. We have a precise measuring stool, uh, stick, I should say, or tool to be able to gauge whatever we hear. And the moment we know someone is not speaking wisely, the Bible says, get away from that person. This is not to be self-righteous or prudish. It's not to turn away and disgust and show my knowledge, proud, 
but it is to take steps to get away. The reason is it will contaminate you. Similarly, the Bible says in the same book of Proverbs, don't hang out with an angry person, lest you learn that person's ways, the furious person. The person who loses the temper, and it can start with finding fault with other people, talking down about this one and that one, you know, even the weather. What did the weather do to us? When we blame the weather, we need to remember there's a God behind the weather. When the weather is bad and there's something like a hurricane to destroy, God still has the power, but it may be the devil's involvement has been given the latitude, like in Job's case, with his children. But nonetheless, we need to make sure we're not complainers or grumblers or murmurers. Because ultimately, it'll go back to God because He's in full control, no matter what. So even things, typically we're thinking about scorning human beings, especially scorning, first of all, God. Despising. Oh God, why'd you do this now? Who are we to even have that kind of tone? But I have met quite a few Christians, thankfully not in our church, how come they don't know? You don't talk like that to God. You don't even think that thought. There's no fear of God. Everything in the word that they hear preach is filtered through humanism and through me, myself, and I. As long as I look good. So hearing a furious person, a person who loses a temper, and also in this verse, verse 7, a person who's not wise, they're not talking what God wants me to do or wants me to say or think. They're introducing something that is not of God. Go from that person. If you hang around, it'll affect you. Because you know what? There's an evil spirit that's working through that person. When you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge... The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. There's that self-examination. There's that self-appraisal in God's eyes before the Lord to really say, God, I want to know my actual state. That's something that's a given in the Bible. God wants us to know our actual state so that we're able to know where we need to work on if we've deviated from his way. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. You know, a wise person, a wise woman, a wise child will take time. Hallelujah for this truth. The person will actually take considerable amount of time to think on how they are in the light of God's rule or measure, the Bible. But listen to what the fool does, self-deception, and deceive others. In other words, it's an image, there's an agenda that it's about pleasure and power and position, 
I'm not going to depart from that evil trinity. No way. Headed for destruction. Big time. The wise person will always continually allow the Spirit of God to work. And, you know, there's a tremendous awe and childlike surrender for the beautiful child of God. God has made beautiful. To be able to come even when we have gone wrong because of God's beauty. And God wants to restore that quickly. Say, Lord, I may have fear right now. God, I don't know the future. God, there are things that are against me, God. But I heard you say, trust me, don't fear. I can take that to heart and say, if God said it, I must be able to do it. Father, make this real in me that I really long to be with you anyway. Not that I want to die prematurely, but Father, whether I live or die, all is well. But I know you have work for me. And one thing I don't want to do is leave this life before I finish the work that you have already ordained for me before I was even born. Multitudes will go to God from the church, quote-unquote. Come up with empty hands and say, God, I didn't even know what you wanted me to do. Or I knew, but I didn't follow through. I'm sorry. The words God has for those people are very difficult to even imagine. But it will happen. But the prudent person keeps checking, am I in God's will? Am I in God's will? Oh, this one wants to go see a movie. It's a Christian movie. Is it God's will? Oh, I know you're 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 like, you know, getting better and closer with God and you're holier. I promise you there's nothing. Okay, and since you checked it, I'll go. We're responsible to examine our steps. And not allow any deception. We can deceive ourselves. Oh, but they said, you know, one important thing in life, I know some of you practice this, if not most of you, but I teach it to our children too, and anyone actually. I learned it from my father. There's a side to a person that can become paranoid which is not from God. It's almost like an OCD with fear and suspicion. But then there's another side with a healthy level of suspicion which suspects that truth won't just come at me from everywhere and so I need to test everything. Case in point, for years people have taken things that have been given to them as far as food is concerned with without questioning anything and it used to be that when people would get something from abroad somewhere else overseas 
and it comes from a particular country or countries, the mindset is, oh, this got to be the best. I mean, they're smart over there, and they got technology, and this has got to be the best thing. This actually happens. And so what happens is those people indiscriminately consume that product because of false assumptions. So like that in our lives, certain things we may not check as much as other things. And yet we need to know whether something is okay. When people go to the grocery store, the people who create the products we know, many times the advertising is a lie. And cleverly worded also. Made in the USA. Because many people are not happy with products from other places. And rightfully so. Because in certain cases, harmful toxic substances are put into the products even if they're not edible products. So there's a caution. There's a, there's a well-known warning. The people who care understand and they, they distribute that to people to warn them, the cautions. But the deception is that when the audacity of a manufacturer made in the USA is stamped on something, In the back, you may see assembled in such and such a state with materials from the very country where we don't want to get the product from. In essence, the same materials in their product. The only thing is made in the USA is it was assembled here. But who cares about that? Not too many people, but we should, especially if it's toxic, known to be toxic. So wise person will not be paranoid, but they will examine because to protect themselves and their families. How much more when it comes to the spiritual things? How much more when it comes to assumptions that, oh, he said it's okay, so it must be good, or they said they checked it out. That's a very dangerous thing. And usually people who work, and sad to say, I've had my experience with emergency services, especially 911. It's incredible to me how much time is delayed. I may be on the highway and I want to call in an accident and there's nobody to help and or even a, an animal in the middle of a narrow road recently coming from church I had to call. Very dangerous, extremely narrow road and a huge animal right there. And the kind of questions and the delay in time, seldom have I not been amazed in a negative way how they're not trained or they don't have the economy to say the words necessary to get the information, even when there's something where it's catastrophic to a human being, somebody's stranded and the car is in a, in a bad way, in the way of traffic. So sometimes, unless we get to an emergency situation, we're not keen on the economy that's necessary, and the time, the speed at which we must act, and the, the way, the questions that need to be asked, not the, all the other questions, but exactly what's necessary to deliver to the right person to get to the scene, to help. How much more when it comes to our soul? Because there's an enemy that is crafty and he wants us not to check things. He wants us not to question. He wants us not to care. And he will send in people and send in situations and thoughts 
as an alibi to say, you know what, I, I checked it because this, this is what I got. Meanwhile, I really didn't check thoroughly. We need to decide. I don't want deception in my life. If I care about my body that much, how much more I should care about my soul. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength, my redeemer. Fools mock at sin. Again, scoff. But among the upright is favor. The Amplified Version says, Fools make a mock of sin, and sin mocks the fools. In brackets, it says, Who are its victims? A sin offering made by them only mocks them, bringing them disappointment and disfavor. It's a, it's chaos. It's catastrophe. Because they laugh at sin. Oh, look at that. Look at this. But among the upright, there's the favor of God. Blessing of God. The heart knows its own bitterness and the stranger does not share its joy. Deep in the heart, is where we live, truly. Because whatever's happening there is where we're, we are really living. The medicine for bitterness is surrender and humility, confession and repentance. Just like for any sin. At the same time, deep in the heart, there's joy, but it can be held in, self-contained, unless it's shared. The heart is where we live. Whatever thoughts are happening inside, that's the real me, that's the real you. And whatever's in there is what's going to be shared when we want to share it. So when we want to share what's in our heart, bitterness will come out with bitterness. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, it's going to defile a lot of people. But if there's genuine joy, we'll be able to share that and affect people for the better. The house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tent of the oppressed shall flourish. How horrible. When we read verses like this, sometimes the images of things I've seen before long time ago as a child I think I stumbled across some program that talked about the the greatest earthquakes in the world's history I was in horror watching all over the world the lives the people running in it everything coming down everything oh that made me so afraid it made me take stock and say, I, I better not get caught in that. Lord, I better be ready. So these things are important to convey the fear of God. Otherwise, we'll read this verse and say, the house of the wicked shall be overthrown. Yeah, I know that. And I can cross-reference over here and there. By the way, the first verse of the, ver uh, the chapter talks about something like that. And uh, yeah, we should be wise and attend to the oppression of Wait a minute. Do you know what it means to have a house overthrown? It's talking about a family and a generation. Everybody is destroyed. hard enough to go to one funeral where we know the person is not with God. Especially tragic ending. 
in this world proceeding, the more horrible ending. But to see a whole family, a house, the word house is not talking about just the physical structure, it's talking about the generation, the family. Those people that came against Moses, the earth opened up, everybody went down. Achan, who caused the defeat, everybody in the family was burned, was stoned and killed and burned. Who's responsible for overthrowing a house, a family and a generation? God is. He's not the cause of it, but ultimately, because he's a judge, he makes sure it happens. We have the great privilege to fear the living God and know by wisdom, and by revelation, this is what is definitely going to happen if my people do not repent. I don't repent where I need to. But I want my entire house to flourish, God. The tent of the upright shall flourish. Can you imagine that? They camped in tents. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're moving around. But it was beautiful because everything they needed was there because the favor of God was with them. Whatever they did, there was joy when they truly surrendered to God. The generation can rise up and say, this is my dad. And when they had a righteous mother, this is my righteous mom. Everything flourished. It's the word of the Lord. What kind of house do you want? What kind of house do I want? I want a house that's going to last. In other words, my family should endure the fire of God's judgment and come forth like gold. Not perish. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There is a way which seems right to a man and appears straight before him. But at the end of it is the way of death. We just have to look back and see how many things we thought were good. How many relationships we thought were good. How many business dealings and partnerships we thought were good. How many activities, whether it's business related or leisure and pleasure. Would we go back and make the same decisions? No. The majority of the time we would have to say no because now we have the light. We can see the folly of that. How we thought we were so wise. But how much loss came out of that? At every level. It was the way of death. And thank God, God got us off of that road. Hallelujah. Never going back to that road. I do not trust the flesh. It's wrong for a Christian to say, well, I don't trust my own heart because Jeremiah has written that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Who can know it? That's not for the believer. It's a complete misinterpretation and misapplication. Yet people do that. I don't trust myself and I can't keep myself and I know God's got to keep me because I, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Well, that person is dominated by Satan. They don't even belong to God. 
But the child of God can be tempted to hear false theology, satanic doctrine coming into the church and twisting the teaching and the scriptures. No, our hearts should be blameless where we can know ourselves, know God and know ourselves that I'm walking right. Lord, I have a clean heart now. Thank you, Jesus. Not only because you washed me, but because I keep myself washed by grace. I go to you for regular purification, a regular checkup. Hallelujah. But we should never trust the flesh. It's very clear in Scripture, this thing called the flesh will continue to be with us until the day we go to be with Jesus. Flesh has two definitions. Same Greek word, New Testament, sarks, but it's talking about the physical body and then the old nature. We're not concerned with the physical body because God will give us a new body and once we come to Christ, He washes us and we no longer give our body over to sin. We have nothing to worry about. And the weaknesses and the sicknesses and the afflictions, we lean upon the Lord and He will give healing. But the dangerous thing is the volition, our will involved to go back to the old nature. That's the flesh that God is talking about that will remain with us, but it will be inactive so long as we crucify that thing. Make sure it stays crucified. So when the temptation comes to act up in the flesh, to lie, to steal, to get bitter and vengeful and gossip, backbite, be proud, and say, oh, no, you don't. Get away in Jesus' name. Curse you, evil spirit that's trying to incite me to resurrect that flesh. Make sure that flesh is under our feet. So there's a nature that has not been completely redeemed or perfected. In other words, to the point where it's no longer with us. It's possible to be next to a human being and have absolutely no hurt from that person. Because the person is dead. They can't lift a finger, quite literally, to do anything to you. They might have been big and bad and ugly, but when it's a corpse, there's no fear at all. That's the way the flesh is supposed to be. So there's no harm, there's no danger, there's no fear. But we have the ability, according to the scripture, to revive that. If we don't fear the Lord and make sure that the very actions of the flesh, the motivations as enumerated in Galatians 5, in Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 6, in so many places in the Bible, we watch out for these things. See? If a person knows they have a weather app on the phone, We've come a long way, haven't we? I remember growing up, hearing the news in the morning, one know the weather for the day it's in the popular radio stations. Every eight minutes, on the eight, you know, you can know the weather. And what you have is nothing compared to what you can know now with the technology. At your fingertips, you can know much, much more. You can actually be a meteorologist yourself and be fully involved in all of the descriptions and the warnings and the movements of the clouds and the Doppler effect and all these things. 
we ought to be thankful that God has given us everything needed, everything that we need to walk in the Spirit so we avoid the way of death. The caution for the believer is one of Satan's sneakiest snares is to send believers to believers. Believers who are walking in the flesh and they're in danger actually. They've actually turned about face. They're not in hell and they may not have lost their salvation but they're headed that way. But they're doing all the other stuff. Hey, you like that worship music? I like it. I play it all the time. Oh yeah, I hear that preacher all the time. And I say my verses and I get on my memory app and I do all kinds of stuff and, you know, I worship. Hey, when I drive, I worship. Yeah. Dirty heart, dirty mind, vengeful but smiling on the outside. Person clearly not walking with God. So Satan will set them up to cause another person to join the crowd. And only the believer who's in the word of God and fears the Lord, is humbly walking with God, will be able to detect that and say, that's the way of death. I'm not going that way. Even in laughter, exactly what I was talking about more than once, even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful. And the end of mirth is heaviness and grief. Good grief. It's not good. Somebody can take this at face value and say, well, that's what Ecclesiastes is all about, isn't it? Everything's vanity, so don't get your hopes up too high. And you know what? You may be happy now. Just watch. Just a matter of time. You're going to come crashing down. You know it. That's Satan speaking when we're walking with God. This is talking about a person who doesn't have genuine joy from the Holy Spirit because they're in fellowship with God. This is talking about a person who loves parties, who loves celebrations. It doesn't have to be a wild party. It can be just, you know, I love a get-together and people. I like talking to people. I like being with people. I like venting on people and I like sharing with people. And uh, I like seeing people in the movies too when I'm all by myself. I like imagining things. And I, I giggle. There are people who laugh to themselves because they're engrossed in another world. It's a fantasy world. Full of movies and music and thoughts and talk shows and conversation from carnal people in the church. You know what that'll do? It'll make a person delirious. It'll make a person hallucinate in the spirit, spiritually speaking. where they'll laugh and smile and giggle. But it won't last because it's not real. Do you know that? Have you been with people like that? I can well recall. It just adds to the chaos. It adds to the hopelessness and the, the total vacuum that there's nothing certain and I know right around the corner there's going to be some hit coming and some something to take my joy away and you know what that does to a person makes them defensive I'm not going to open my heart up to you or anybody because I've been hurt too much 
Well, have you come to Jesus? Received a brand new heart? Where you keep pouring in His love? Make you a believer, not a doubter? Oh, He'll make you cautious against people who claim to know Him, but they're not following Him? You'll be alert to that, but your comfort, your delight is in God and in people who are following Him in fellowship with Him. That laughter, that joy, it's not going to stop. It's in the vein in the highway called joy unspeakable. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Some of these things, sometimes we may read it and say, well, this is, I mean, it's so basic. It seems almost like, I don't know why it's a proverb, because it's obvious, isn't it? God doesn't record obvious things. It's because we've known God, we have some measure of understanding God, that we're able to understand certain things. They become obvious after a while. But the import of this is the destiny of a person who slides back, slip shoddy. You know? It's like that bull. That animal that just slides back. Trying to pull it this way, it slides back. And if the person holding the rope should let it go, it's going to fall into that mud pile. Into the ditch. Doesn't know. It's a good thing to follow my master, my owner. The backslider. And the backsliding will turn into a slippery slope. That's the danger. You see it in the book of Psalms. Somebody says, I don't want to hear this stuff. It just doesn't apply to me. Well, then why did God not tell us, once you get born again and you're walking with me, you don't have to read Proverbs anymore. Isn't that wonderful? You only have 65 books now. For that matter, let's take out Ecclesiastes. Let's take out Isaiah, a good portion of it, Jeremiah. You could be left with John 3.16 and even the latter half, well, you don't have to worry about that either. In fact, all you need to have now is the word Jesus tattooed on you. You don't even need a Bible. You know why? Because Jesus is the word. And you can understand everything by just looking at that tattoo every morning. Every word of God is inspired, breathed by the Holy Ghost and is profitable. There's no time limit. There's no qualification as far as age or how long one's been a Christian because every one of these verses, if I understand it and I humble myself and say, Father, show me again and show me deeper so I never ever get deceived and despise you or disobey you. Hallelujah. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. In other words, this is what you want? You want to be with the world? God says, go ahead. If you want it that badly after all the warnings, go ahead. I'm sorry, God. I'm so sorry, but my cousin called. My mom called. My friend called, my Christian friend called. 
I just want to have some sweet fellowship. I know they're not up to the standard that you're showing me, but God, it's so hard to find a good Christian friend these days. I'm just going to make, I'll be back, God. We may not come back if we disobey. As Saul found out, there was a period, there was a time that he continued. Same thing with Judas. He kept on stealing. He didn't stop. The man did not stop. He did not stop stealing. No matter what miracle he saw, all the declarations from the mouth of the Son of God, he blatantly, you know why? Because he was so filled with his own ways, it took over. It took over. The flesh that he fed became a monster and destroyed him, his soul. There's only one thing for the Christian to do with the flesh, is to crucify it. We have to have that vehemence that vengeance you. That old nature. God has given me freedom from you. No longer your slave. I follow the spirit. You're not allowed to breathe. Period. You know, that means that I have to be full of the Holy Spirit. Just like the apostles and say, God, the fruit of the spirit. You see, it's not just, I, I can't have this, I can't have that, and i got to watch for anger and temper and immorality and stealing and murder and all the thoughts that keep coming and, oh, that's no way to live. Is to keep those things far away and so you don't come anywhere near me. But my focus, I'm going to go deeper into agape love. Oh, the fruit of the Spirit, dazzling jewels, Lord, make me such a specimen of your grace that I will be part of your jewelry as is written in Malachi hallelujah a good man shall be satisfied from himself similar to the very verse before it whatever's in the heart is going to rule the person and also come out whatever's in the heart may not be known by other people, but eventually God will bring it up. But our focus is the good person. What is a good person? What is the definition of a good person in the Bible? It's a person who does what is right in the sight of God. That's the definition of good that God uses. A person who does what is right in the sight of Almighty God. That person will have deep satisfaction. You know why? Because the conscience is tender and innocent all, all over again. How would somebody pay? I mentioned before, many, many years ago, rich people would pay $20 million. Uh, at least one of them. Maybe two of them, at least, I've heard about. $20 million for one ride on the space shuttle. Now, what would a person pay? Where can I go to get up? innocent conscience like Naaman with a baby skin can I have baby conscience Lord can I be pure again Lord can I, can I really get that how much do I pay Lord where, where do I go how long do I have to work I don't care if I have to work 57 years Lord every step I got to have that thing because I know without it I can't get to heaven the Lord said you don't have to pay anything because my blood paid for it oh how precious a lot of times when we get things that are free, human nature is to despise it. It's a strange kind of 
psyche, but it's to despise it because hey, it didn't cost me much, so it must be not that. But if I pay for something, I'm more careful because I invested in it. The best that a man can receive is free, straight from heaven. When you say, Lord, so you want me to walk righteously because you died for that purpose, that's the way I'm going to go. I'm going to be a good person. Hallelujah. That's why goodness is one of those things or qualities that God says is from me. Benevolence, you know, to seek to help people. It's not about me. It's about doing good in the sight of God, to please God and to help people. The simple believeth every word. The simple believes every word. A lot of times people buy a house or a car. They're taught, maybe by experience, they read the fine print and they don't care if they sound annoying or the salesman gets all or saleswoman gets all ruffled up and starts to try to do the intimidation thing. You know, it's going to close and I told you everything and if you don't buy it, that's it. The person will patiently keep asking the same question until they get the answer. You didn't tell me how many miles we get out of this, and you didn't tell me about uh, all of these other safety features. You know, I'm the one who's buying, right? So I'm going to make sure I'm buying the right thing. If you don't have time for me, well, come back another day. Be careful about those things. Coupons, savings here and there, sale. Very careful. They want to know. They want to be in the know. Tell me exactly again. Go on vacation somewhere. Many people are very wise. They want to know how much does it cost and where did you go last time and how was it? Call up a whole bunch of people. They're very good planners. They prepare well. That's prudence. But it comes to the soul and moral judgment. It's not practiced proportionately. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. You know how the Bereans did it? They were in the word. Even when the eminent apostle Paul came and preached, the commendation from God's man was, these people are really noble. You know, they have a heart that's really sharp. And they're checking everything I'm saying against whatever they had at that time. They could have had the gospel circulating at that time. Or they could have checked it with what they had with the previous scriptures in the Old Testament. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. A wise man fears and departs from evil. That's the value of the fear of the Lord. It will literally make us do what? We said this before. Make me so afraid. So afraid to do what God said not to do, that I end up not doing it. Hallelujah. The fear of the Lord will make me so afraid to not do what God said to do. So I end up doing it. I'll be so afraid to do what God said not to do it, I end up not doing it. That's when you know that somebody has a fear of the Lord. We can check ourselves very easily. 
A wise man fears. Fears what? He's talking about the fear of the Lord. The wisdom and the fear of the Lord are connected. They depart from evil. But a fool rages. Oh, he's self-confident. Dangerous. Dangerous. I know exactly what that is. Perhaps you can identify too. Times in our lives when we were not walking with God and we heard the truth or we knew this is the right path. So full of ourselves that we were angry. Angry. At what? At the truth from God and at the messenger. Walking away in self-confidence to have a hard fall. Oh, no more of that life. A quick-tempered man or person acts foolishly and a man of wicked intentions is hated. Anger can make us do things. Road rage to not saving food for somebody in our own home because we wanted it. We're angry at them because they didn't do something for us. It happens. Not in this church, praise God. And a man of wicked intentions is hated. It's a universal and unanimous thing. Even wicked people don't like wicked people when they can spot things that will injure them. When it comes out in the open, they'll all jump on that. How much more the righteous? Because they see in living color, if you will. Tremendous contrast between that which is good and what is bad, evil. And the people that perpetrate that. They don't want that. The simple inherent folly. Again, the word simple is there and we know. Talking about the person who doesn't care to examine, doesn't care about how they're walking, and gets angry if somebody says, you know, this is not right. Now, there are people who will judge and criticize. I mean, it's a self-righteousness. And that can come out and tear somebody down. It's not God's way at all. They can be speaking the truth. But the heart is not right. There's pride behind it. The objective is short-circuited by the manner in which they feel about themselves, the self-righteousness. And then lashing out and tearing somebody down to be cautious that we do everything. First of all, the first thing to do, the safest thing to do is check ourselves first and say, do I have this? And if I've had that, even if I've had that, to be very careful not to act like I never had it. That'll make me deal a little more gently with other people. At the same time, when there's a egregious violation of God's holiness and there's a perpetration of pollution that the enemy is trying to get through to defile me, especially if it's a believer, I have to give the whole truth. And sometimes it has to be forceful if I really care. But only God can help us have that balance. And it's imperative that we really have a broken heart before God and be very careful before we judge or speak against people 
or even advise them with sarcasm or talking down to them or thinking that for whatever reason I'm bigger and better. The simple inherit folly but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The prudent are crowned with knowledge. They, they get to know more. And the kind of knowledge here is not facts. Obviously, it's not just talking about facts or knowing how to do something and learning some skill in the world. It's talking about the kind of knowledge that will keep me safe. That will keep me joyful. Keep me in the perfect will of God. The person who's wise, and again, the mark of a wise person, what you can see immediately, is the humility. Oftentimes, that's the, the most glaring, conspicuous quality that you can identify a wise person, humility. Which leads to the actions that go with that virtue, including speaking judiciously, listening more than talking, weighing things with God's help, and then saying, Lord, I'm working hard with your grace that's working hard in me. I want my speech to be like apples of gold and settings of silver. Let it be edifying, O oh Father. Crowned with knowledge. The evil will bow before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. The final showdown will result in the good triumphing over the evil. God said, I will make sure they bow before you. God is fiercely faithful to his beloved children. And we heard that term in the prophetic word. Are we fiercely loyal to God? Fiercely. God is so committed to us. He loves us so much that none of our enemies will be left standing when he's through with them. And he'll make sure that we see that with our eyes and we taste that victory. God will do it. So this is one of those benefits that God said, I'm going to give it to you. So many benefits of obeying God and fearing him and loving him, being close to him, to his heart. The evil will bow before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. God uses, again, graphic language against the wicked. That Jezebel, he said, dogs will lick her blood. She was shattered physically, quite literally. It's a horrible, gruesome way to die. She was asking for it. She was filled with her own ways. She kept going and going and going. She said, nobody can stop me. I'm the queen. In essence, she was assassinated by her own people. And then to us, not only pathetic, but it was a rather unique way to perish as a severe judgment from God because she was severely wicked. So when we read these verses, we have so much in Scripture that the Spirit of God will bring to understand how powerful it is, these 
Proverbs and the full meaning of them. The evil will bow before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous will actually perish after that. But God, you see how God operates? He'll make sure, just like with Joshua, just like with Gideon, that these fierce enemies of the truth will taste the judgment of God and we will be witness to that and we will see God's glorious name exalted through that. This will happen to the demons, the fallen angels. God said many of them are reserved in chains for that judgment day. Many are roaming around, many demons. They'll also be caught. Not one criminal will be let loose. Not one will escape the judgment seat of God. Not one. There won't be anyone. No one has to worry. Oh, they, I heard in the news they let them out. I don't know where they are. No fear whatsoever. God will catch every single one. The demons and the people who cooperate with the demons. To destroy all of them. The poor man is hated even by his own neighbor. What does that mean? That the rich has many friends. Obviously, financial position can often determine who will want to hang out with us, be our friend. Just like the prodigal son story, when he left wisdom and love, he ended up broke. Nobody wanted to see his face. Before that, he was living it up. Lots of friends, lots of things to do. Now, alone, and having a hard time even eating with the pigs, trying to get their food. Horrible. The poor man is hated even by his own neighbor. neighbor. But the rich has many friends. And of course, if the rich spoken of here are not righteous, they and their friends will perish because birds of a feather flock together. He who despises his neighbor sins. There are people who look out the window and see the car and compare their car with the neighbor's car and say, I got a better car than them. And despise them. I got better this, better that. It may not be the next door neighbor, maybe a few houses down, and maybe across the world. The man said, Who is my neighbor to Jesus? And the Lord brought in the parable of the Good Samaritan to bring people who might as well have lived the opposite ends of the world as far as cultural relationship was concerned but he who has mercy on the poor happy is he so mercy or loving kindness is to value the person regardless of their financial status regardless of who they know and what they have what they can do it's a human being especially when they're down, to have mercy. And it doesn't mean to go to everybody in the world. Jesus told them, the poor of the world you'll have always with you. You don't have me always. And when it comes to today, the Lord is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Uh, when we have to do God's work and God's kingdom is the priority, the humanitarian part of it, the social aspect of it, often can come and muddle up the actual spiritual work that needs to be done. 
to the person who may be physically helped and time and energy is invested, God doesn't say not to do it. We have to do it. There comes a time when the discernment from God will show that the way I'm going to show mercy, ultimate mercy, is to make sure they get the gospel as the priority. And then physical help. Or with the physical help, still the priority. Even if it follows as far as the time table is concerned. The person's freezing. I'm going to give him a code. I'm not going to lecture to them about the gospel. I'm going to give them that code and then talk to him. Give them what they need. But sometimes it can get so twisted that people run here and there. They jump in the car, get on their bike or walk because I'm going to do good and show mercy to the poor. The thing is, there may not have been God's will at that moment to do that. We've known many people misunderstanding God's will, hurrying to do something physical when it wasn't God's will. And the result shows. Because they ventured into a territory where their spirits were not supposed to. And they get affected. And also the person doesn't even want to hear the truth. And the investment was not God's idea at all. Having mercy on the poor is to look to the Lord and say, Lord, how would you have me have mercy on the poor? To have that attitude and check with the Lord, the satisfaction will be there. There will be happiness. Do they not go astray who devise evil? Is that a question? We'd say, of course, the person who does evil, devises evil, they're concocting evil. They're planning to do evil. They're not on the right track. And they're not headed down the right path or destination. But do you know many, many Christians don't believe this. They don't believe this quote-unquote obvious truth. You know why? They engage in many activities and make decisions that are harmful to the cause of Christ because they're supposed to represent Christ. Harmful to their own souls. Become an embarrassment to heaven because they don't know that they're born from above, not from below. And they mingle with evil and think that I'm on the right path. So it's important to read this. The person who devises evil will go astray. They're not going to be on the right path. And so we can tell people, many, many Christians today, beginning with ourselves, if you depart from God and you do something that's wrong in the sight of God, you're in the wrong path. And you keep doing that, you're going to end up in a different destination than you thought. Come to God. Confess. Receive the forgiveness and repent. Repent, confess, receive forgiveness. But mercy and truth belongs to those who devise good. Just like we read before, God's favor, God's favor will come. 
God's truth will shine in our hearts. God will set the crooked things straight. There's not one area that God won't touch in our hearts, in our lives. Not one area. So God will help us. In all labor there's profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. Have you ever seen people growing up in certain places? They waste time. They sit outside. They say, oh, I want to enjoy the day and I want to enjoy the family. And There's a time to spend time with the family. But then there's idle chatter. These things that have no profit for the soul, no edification, but it's talking for the sake of talking and feeling good. And sin is not lacking there. Lots of words. But to work, to use the time, to do what I'm supposed to do, and then have a conversation that is godly, that's what God's design is for us. Idle chatter. Words to no profit. Talk of the lips. Empty talk. I mentioned the other day, our lives have become God's time. The entire life, that's what it means to follow Him and not follow ourselves. Every moment belongs to God. Whether we eat or drink, it should be to the glory of God. That means that God wants me to eat when I have to eat. And I'm in God's perfect will. There's no guilt whatsoever when I need to eat and enjoy the food that God gives. He takes pleasure in that. Isn't that amazing? God takes pleasure in every activity that is lawful that we engage in. Even if it seems to have no spiritual, immediate characteristics that we can think of. I'm enjoying God's provision. How much more talking and activities other than that? God pays close attention to everything we do. He cares. We're on His time. The crown of the wise is their riches. But the foolishness of fools is folly. Now, many times the Proverbs talk about laziness. And so the understanding is that the person who works hard, they will gain. And that's true. But the condition always for justifying the rich person is that they have real faith and fear of God. They're doing it right. They're doing it the right way. Not the wrong way to get riches. And they're rich toward God. The first fruits go to God. But the foolishness of these idle people, the fools, is folly. They just waste the time. Lazy, wasting time, wasting money, wasting energy. And also mingling with people who are also like themselves and empowering each other to do more damage to the good things God has given. I know what wasting time is. I'm sure many of you know also. The time in our lives when we wasted time. Wasted energy. Wasted resources. Frustration sets in. Seem to be in a rut. It may be a short time for some and a longer time for others, but it's a wasteland. And it's a, an affront, it's an insult to the grace that God has shown us. How much more when we're believers? My time belongs to God. 
my conversation, everything belongs to God. It must bring glory to God and I must profit for the kingdom of God to glorify God. To bring souls to God. And you know, we can be on that agenda and yet neglect our own heart. We can be busy on the field but extremely idle when it comes to taking care of our own garden. A true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. Can false bring out good? Can anything good come out of evil? A bad tree cannot bear good fruit, and a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. People get hurt. Lies hurt people, especially false witness. But the person who does it, they'll be the one ones who'll be hurt the most in the end. Again, again and again, we see wisdom, truth, fear of the Lord, humility. God wants us to be true. God wants us to speak the truth. Speak the truth. Live the truth. Embody the truth. It's Christ being incarnated in us, in our souls, where I'm walking like Him. Nothing is too small for me to overlook because my conscience is now very, very tender before God. And I, I won't miss the fellowship of my father for anything. Do you know how Adam and Eve would have felt? No more fellowship with him. It was so beautiful. It was so satisfied. So much joy. God doesn't want us to miss that because Jesus came to restore that. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. And his children will have a place of refuge. In the fear of the Lord, Strong confidence. Faith and the fear of the Lord go together. And his children will have a place of safety, refuge. Because I know I'm pleasing God when I fear God. When I fear God, I'm pleasing Him because I fear disobeying Him enough to not disobey Him. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life as we come toward the end of this Proverbs chapter 14. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. This is the real fountain of youth. People traveled to look for a fountain of youth. But this is the real fountain of youth, fountain of everlasting life because it turns a person away from the pit, from the traps of death. In a multitude of people is a king's honor. In the lack of people is the downfall of a prince. That means the king is not ruling properly. That person is not doing right by the people. He's not blessed, he's cursed. There's no protection. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding. But he who is impulsive just celebrates foolishness. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding. Really check that anger. Say, I don't want it. Be patient and listen. But he who is impulsive, right away, jump on this one, jump on that one, talk about this one and make decisions. One of the most impulsive things that happens today, as we can all guess, 
to start typing away. Shoot text everywhere. It's wonderful, wonderful technology. Extremely useful for the kingdom of God, but also extremely used by the devil. The impulsivity brings a lot of regrets. So it's not a good thing to be impulsive. It celebrates foolishness. Literally, the word, some of you may have it in the margin there, means shortness of spirit. That means spiritually not mature. Not able to be patient and think, but to shoot. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. A sound heart is life to the body. We think in the terms of just purely the physical, it's talking about the spiritual, but even in the physical, the heart is the center. It pumps everything that the whole body needs. How much more the soul? God is saying there's a relationship from the invisible to the visible, from the supernatural to the natural, that if my heart is right before God, it opens the way to healing. But envy is rottenness to the bones. Jealousy just rots a person's bones. Could it be that some of the sickness, all the sickness, comes from certain sins, clearly, revealed in the Bible? The man who was born blind had no such thing. He didn't have envy, and his parents didn't have envy, and nothing that caused this disease was blindness. But a lot of times, there's a cause, and it's the best thing to say, Father, forgive me. I will forgive everyone, Lord, and I don't want this life. I thank you for getting my attention. Because through means of me trying to save my physical body, physical life, I really started turning my direction toward heaven and heard what you had to say about my eternal state. Thank you, God. Healing will flow. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker. God made the poor too. Whoever oppresses another human being, God takes great issue with that. He hates it. But he who honors him has mercy on the needy. He who honors God knows that God likes mercy. He's so merciful to us. We should have mercy on the poor. And the term poor can be defined broadly to include all kinds of states, not just the financial state. But primarily, the financial state affects many other states also. Constitution of the human being. The wicked is banished in his wickedness, sent out. But the righteous has a refuge in his death. It's akin to the verses in Proverbs and in Psalms particularly where it talks about scattering the wicked. Even Psalm 1, where the wicked is like the chaff which the wind blows away. It's just out. God just scatters them, gets them out. Because they're doing evil. But the person who does God's will is safe even when he dies physically. What a guarantee. Wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding. But what is in the heart of fools is made known. In one way, we can know when somebody is operating 
through wisdom or foolishness is through the words that come out of the mouth and the actions and to go deeper the thoughts that are happening we can self-diagnose is it wise before God that I think these thoughts and let them run around in my head I want wisdom Lord from my words my actions my thoughts wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding but what is in the heart of fools is made known Righteousness exalts the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. This nation, as I understand it, last I heard, is the greatest distributor of immorality in the whole world. And many other countries are in close competition now. What happened? You have people dressed in wonderful suits and gray head and white head Dignified-looking people, incredible vocabulary, stellar record as far as the accomplishments, utter fools, according to God. Because they don't have enough sense to say, pornography is wrong. I don't care what revenue is coming from that. Get that filth out of our land. Destroying lives. In the media, we need to keep a watch on it and tell people I don't care what creative liberty you talk about in arts don't act like a fool make movies and make things and themes and pictures to defile the nation will they say that? no because wickedness is exalted that's why it's a reproach that's why disaster comes in many ways but there's a way out for us, first of all, as individuals, to say, Lord, I don't care what I lose. I'm not going to lose the dignity you've given me, first of all, as a human being, and especially as a child of the living God. I want to be clean, Lord, and do only clean things, and support only clean, righteous causes. I don't care if I'm the only one. They want to stone me. So be it. It's an honor the death of the righteous if it comes to that that's real Christianity the king's favor is toward a wise servant but his wrath is against him who causes shame we see that very very clearly when the master or the king comes back he says I gave you one talent I didn't even give you two or five you couldn't even invest that you didn't go out and do anything actually you could have put it in the bank that servant brought shame. There was absolutely no gain, no profit. Without even doing anything, you could have just deposited. You didn't have to go out and try to multiply it here and there like the others did. God called that person a wicked and lazy servant. Was there favor to other person? Oh, but God loves you. He knows. It was over for that person. The time was up. And so for everyone, grace will come tremendous showers of grace for every human being. That's how I know my God is. That's how He is. That's how He is. That's who He is. But He will see whether the rain that falls on the ground, as it's written in Hebrews 6, is producing a crop or thorns. And the one that 
that produces thorns is near cursing, being burned up. I'm on God's favor, and the fear of God will make sure that I stay in the right path, and I don't have to fear punishment or condemnation because I have this awesome fear of God that I will do exactly what my Father says. I love Him. And on that day, I will not be ashamed, neither will my Lord be ashamed of me, because I turned over a brand new leaf by His grace. Everything's Jesus in me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We're going to pray.